As an engineering leader, you know firsthand that achieving work-life balance can be hard. Many business owners struggle with the balance between their personal lives and their work. This leads to stress and a feeling of regret. But that's not the case for the listeners of the Engineer Your Success podcast with Dr. James Bryant. This podcast provides tools, tips, and techniques to help you achieve success both in business and in life. Tune in. Let's engineer your success today. I want to welcome you to the Engineer Your Success podcast. My name is Dr. James Bryant. I'm your host for this show, and I have the pleasure of having a very good friend, Billy Kills, here on the show. Billy, how are things going, man? James, I'm doing very well. Or Dr. Bryant, I'm doing very, very well. I am. I mentioned to you before earlier, this is very exciting, man. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation, although it can be a little bit intimidating knowing that there's going to be lots and lots of people watching us and listening to us. But uh, other than that, I know I'm in good hands. I know I'm in good hands. <laughs> no, it's great, Billy. Billy and I met actually through LinkedIn several, a few years ago, and we've also been involved with a few real estate conferences. We have a, a common connection in Jerome Myers, and that's kind of how the introduction came through and just over the course of different events and different times, we've built just a small kindling friendship that's continuing to kind of develop and to blossom. And when I heard more about your story, Billy, I said, I've got to have you on the show. So you already know that when, you know, people come to the podcast, they're going to be able to get your bio and other information to connect with you in the show notes. It's going to be there. But I ask this of every guest. I want you to tell us one thing about yourself that would not show up in your bio. All right. Well, I kind of wrote about this earlier today. But before I even say that, James, can I say something really, really quickly? Yeah. Yes. Um, because I'm a fellow podcaster. And one of the things that's really, really important, I know you do lots and lots of work and you are so much a giver and adding value. And for those of you that are watching and listening, if you have not had a chance yet to at least share your honest written opinion and with a nice written review as well as a rating for James, it would be greatly appreciated as a guest. I know that this is a way that he also gets amazing guests for you so that you get the best content so that you can continue to take action and be the best version of yourself. So with that stated, I would like just to say that you probably know about the five languages and been able to go to 86 countries and been very, very fortunate. But most people don't know that I have been a a recovering perfectionist, someone who's really limited myself in terms of believing that I couldn't cook. And just recently, I think you know about this. I even yeah. posted on my LinkedIn that I have been secretly becoming a chef <laughs> and I'm actually liking it. <laughs> it doesn't always turn out right in the first time, but make a lot of mistakes. But eventually when you make a really nice plate and you see your family, your wife or your husband or your partner or your kids enjoy it, it's really fun. And I have been enjoying making a lot of mistakes. And then when I make that right plate, like see those smiles, it's just really fun. Now, Billy, that's pretty interesting. I don't know too many people that say they enjoy making mistakes. Mm. Let's, let's talk mm. about that. What's the enjoyment about making mistakes for you well, in this it, context? Yeah. In this context. So with the cooking or just in general, both, both. Okay. <laughs> so with the cooking, I know that every mistake that I make that I'm going to get a chance to get better. And now that I've started recognizing like, okay, this is, un I didn't cook this long enough. So I, I cook it a little bit more or I, it, I didn't put in enough salt or this product wasn't necessarily the best product. Like I've even been learning about the different types of eggs, right? Cause oh, there wow. are a lot of different grades of eggs and all this kind of stuff and different types of oils. And, and so being able to play 
with these different ingredients and improve every time, that's fun because you know that you're getting towards being better every single time. Yeah. One of the other things is you, I don't know if this would ring a bell to you, but as a someone who used to, like, I was a really good student, like I got A's all the time mm-hmm. and I was like, always got that feedback and you study real hard and you got the feedback and you realize that was a positive thing because that's what I learned in school. But since I left school and even now in this entrepreneurial track, you realize that you don't get things right the first time. It does not matter how well you plan. <laughs> and I come from a software background as well, right? So there, mm-hmm. even if you have the best design software in the world, once it goes out and generally available, you're still going to get some bugs. And so you've got to get through those bugs. You've got to get through those mistakes in order to get to the best version of yourself. So as a recovering perfectionist, now I'm at the point where I'm enjoying making mistakes and I'll work to do them faster and more frequently and always with the intention of continue to to fail forward, right? Because then I know that I'm getting towards the best version of whatever it is that I'm doing. No, I think that is powerful, uh, Billy, is that don't be afraid of making mistakes. And there are certain situations where you're trying to accelerate that process just because you want to get to that end result that you're looking for. You want to get to the better and the improvement. And what many people fail to realize is that your improvement is on the other side of that mistake. And so when you are not taking those chances, when you're holding back, when you're saying, no, I don't think this is, you're limiting yourself from really growing. Yeah. You know, it makes me think about the, I know you're familiar with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, where he talks about the famous 10,000 hour rule, right? And so when I realized that, hey, listen, if you're going to master anything, if you've got to get to these famous 10,000 hours, isn't it better to do that as quickly as possible? (laughs) Yes. Because then that way you get to where you really want to be, where you can really enjoy it. And so, but I struggle with that. And a lot of, I think a lot of people continue to struggle with that when you have been given all of this positive reinforcement of, hey, listen, you get a good grade, you study. And you think that the result has to be an A. And when mm-hmm. it's not, you can be deflated. Like I've, it happens to me even nowadays when I want to do something quickly that just like that inner little Billy is, oh, no, but I don't want to try it again because it's not. And then you've got to go, no, yeah. you've got to do it again. Because if you don't do it again, then you will either quit. And that is always an option, but not one that I prefer to take. Or you continue to work through it so that you actually get to the point that you want to be. And I learned a lot of that with languages as well, right? Because I yeah. only speak English, but I learned four additional languages. And you can only learn additional languages by making a lot of mistakes, having <laughs> other natives around you, and practicing. So, yeah. So, uh, Billy, I'm glad you mentioned the languages. A lot of the different things that you talk about in terms of being able to grow through the process is, you know, in Carol Dweck's book, in terms of growth mindset, it hits on a lot of those different pieces. And what we've tried to do, even with myself and our kids, is praise the process, praise the fact that you're studying, praise the fact of the effort that you're going through, not just the end result. Because when we get caught up on the end result, we don't appreciate the process. But like you said, you mentioned those five languages. And so why why did you learn five languages? Why does it people who don't know you and don't know uh, the background of your story are like, why did they learn five languages? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, when I was born in Columbus, Ohio, many years ago, um, 40 some odd years ago, I never thought I was going to leave Columbus, Ohio, but I was because I was watching my parents who were very blue collar, work two jobs, struggle at the end of the month to pay bill A or bill B, watch them around those you know, have these challenges around money. And the thing that they always thought about though, was how do we keep the kids 
near great education so that the mm-hmm. kids don't have to do what we're doing. Right. And to kind of resume things really quickly. By the time I was 12, we'd lived in three different states, Ohio, Colorado, Texas. From there, we probably lived in, I don't know, probably, I think it was something like seven to 10 different houses okay. uh, because at the end of the leases, it was time to kind of move on to the next place. Right. And so what I saw was this desire to kind of continuously move around. I was always the new kid in school, me and my brother and sister. And I guess that was somewhat inside of me was my nature to go out and be curious and meet new people. At the same time, it was being nurtured because we were moving to different places. And so mm-hmm. ended up going to college after college. I had this amazing job. I got rejected twice from my dream job. I think you and I talked about this in St. Lucia, maybe, but uh, <laughs> we, I got rejected by my dream job. But through that, I was given this amazing, amazing opportunity. And this was one of those points where you realize like failure events are only failures if you take them as such. But I continued to push forward and eventually had this amazing role right out of college. I lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and I had the opportunity to work and travel throughout some 58 different countries in five years. So by the time I was 26, I'd already traveled to 58 countries and I was staying in these really nice five-star hotels and stuff like that. But I had this event that kind of left me, I guess, emotionally wounded back in 1995. Okay. And I lived overseas. I said that I wanted to learn Spanish, ended up wasting a lot of time and energy, didn't learn Spanish, and I was pretty dejected. And so in 2001, after those five years, I had an opportunity to live overseas. So I got accepted at a university in Paris called the Sorbonne. I went there to learn how to well, I went to learn more about French language and culture. I wanted to learn how to salsa dance and I wanted to learn more about wine. These were my three <laughs> objectives. Don't ask me why, but I can tell you that my salsa dance is pretty good. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, the wine's not bad. But along the way, that was supposed to be a one-year sabbatical, James. Okay. And that one-year sabbatical ended up being, because I worked with a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs and it was a pretty amazing opportunity. It was challenging. But at about six months of living in France, realized that, hey, listen, I'm starting to like I've gone through the difficult times, like the crying in my room because I couldn't get anybody to help me with getting utilities turned on. And it took five hours instead of the 30 minutes it should have taken. And and I'd gone through all of those challenges and I really wanted to stay. And so I was fortunate enough to leave Paris, move down to the south where I started working in the IT industry. Okay. And when I was working in the IT industry, I was working and selling over the phone in French language, right? That was the, wow. that was the goal. So I'd learned enough to be able to somewhat sell, but I couldn't really sell. So they then put me back to order entry, which was a, a pretty interesting because I'd been leading teams of people, about 300 people bef- about a year and a half before. So mm-hmm. it was pretty humbling. But while I was there, it gave me the opportunity to learn new language, new culture. And then they sent me to Italy to start up a sales team. And so I was living in France. So, all right, you are supposed to be. This is your four language question. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But but you're supposed to be doing sales on the phone in French language. It's like, you know what? You haven't quite mastered the language yet. We're going to put you in order entry. Yep. Then the next thing you say is they're going to they're sending you to Italy to lead a sales team. What I want to know is what happened in the in-between. So if you're dejected from, you know, someone saying, no, you can't do this. You need to do that. What Mm. were you doing to prepare yourself or to, or to get you ready for that next opportunity? So initially it was, it made me feel like the rejection that happened with the P and G job right out of college Mm. and it happened once and twice. And so I was to this point where I was really, I really felt like my skills were well enough after a year and a bit to sell over the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. And when that didn't happen and I was 
sent back to order entry, I had just, I really leaned into it. And you, cause you have the choice to either crumble and yeah. just be really upset about it. Or you really stand up and you say, look, I'm going to do everything. And I got obsessed about the language. And I looked at every single order that came off the computer and it was an opportunity to learn. I learned new vocabulary. I learned new streets and I tried to pronounce the streets names out loud. I would ask my colleagues, Hey, is, am I pronouncing this correctly? And they would say no. And so everything became sort of a game. And so as I then went through lots and lots of failure events, right? Because I was trying yeah. to pronounce it and I would say it's Rue and they would say, no, it's Rue. And I would go, okay. And I would go repetition, repetition until I got to the point where I felt comfortable. And they would look at me with the, that sort of a smile and say, Oh, now you've got it. And I did that over and over and over and over and finally got to a point where I was placed on a team where we were selling peripheral devices Okay, and doing that in French. And then there was a need for people that spoke Spanish and they knew that I spoke Spanish and I tried the Spanish thing and my level wasn't there either. And so I had to do order entry for the Spanish team. So oh, wow. history was repeating itself, but I continued to then apply the exact same process that I applied in the French language. And so they knew that I had lots of leadership experience because I'd managed big teams when I was doing that five years in 58 countries. And so eventually what happened was, this is really interesting. You asked me this question. No one's ever asked me this question, James. This is amazing. So as I was performing and just really working, 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 working my tail off during the day, order entry, it became a game. Like I want to do more order entry than anybody else. Like I want to be the best order entry person and work on my language and practice and practice and practice. And I had an amazing boss at the time. This is, I've never told this story, man. This is amazing. So as I'm working through the team and I'm in, I become the team lead of the team mm-hmm. and the manager moves on to something else. And so then I became the manager of the team and my boss, who was a guy from Italy, he noticed that he was like, Hey, hang on a second. There were some things that were happening. He pulled me aside one day and he's like, Hey, listen, um, you know, have you ever thought about doing living overseas and in, in taking this new, we have a new opportunity. It's going to be in Italy. And it's going to be doing the exact same thing that you're doing now, but for the Italian market. And I was looking at him like, his name is Mauro. I said, well, Mauro, I, you know, this sounds great. There's just one problem, man. And he's like, well, what's the problem? I said, I don't speak Italian. <laughs> and he looked at me. I mean, listen, James, this is the most amazing thing. And he looked at me in the face so confidently. And he said, don't worry, you'll learn. Yes. And I yes. thought to myself, how can I say no? This guy just told me that I would learn. He was so confident, the look in his face. And I thought, yeah, you know what? You're right. I will learn. And so then I accepted the opportunity to go and lead and build the sales team in Italy. No one's ever asked me that question before, man. That's, um, and this is before you learned how to speak Italian. Correct. So what we did, we decided that I needed some work. Yeah. Right. At this point, I spoke Spanish. I spoke French and my English was okay, more or less. And so <laughs> I took classes. For about two months, I took classes at the office and then it was like, how could I listen to new tapes or could I listen to CDs that were in Italian? And then I went there and the exact same thing that I did when I lived in France, which was put stuff all over my place and just learn and actually put a picture on that not too long ago on LinkedIn too. Mm -hmm. It it was the same process. So I just applied the same process. Now it wasn't French language, it was Italian language. Mm -hmm. And then strangely enough, when I moved to Barcelona, Spain, it was the exact same process because I wanted to learn Catalan. And so I don't like to reinvent the wheel because I'm not Mm -hmm. that smart, but Mm -hmm. when things work and I've made mistakes, then I just know that it's about making a lot of mistakes. You've got to make the language mistakes to get to the point of fluency. 
Now, today, if you ask me to speak in French, Italian, Spanish, or Catalan, I would feel comfortable. My English, as I mentioned before, is a little bit shaky, but the others, <laughs> I feel relatively, relatively comfortable with. Yeah, no one's ever asked me that, man. At Banowitz Marketing, we succeed when you succeed. Build a thriving family business with great marketing that actually works. How? Start with comprehensive marketing direction and a clear action plan. Then get attentive expert help and choose whether that help comes as done-for-you services or as done-with-you guidance. Visit us at thrivingfamilybusiness.com to get started today. You've spent so much time working through that process. And and Mm -hmm. what I would add is that you don't have to be smart to invent something. You don't have to necessarily be, you know, just because you invent something doesn't necessarily make you smart. That's what I'm trying to say. Really smart is taking advantage of the opportunities that are available to you, taking Mm -hmm. advantage of systems that you have used and have worked for you and being able to not say, oh man, how am I going to learn this other language? But saying, you know what? This is what worked for me in this situation. And I'm going to take this same, these same principles. Yep. And apply it to this next situation. Oh, guess what? It worked there. Yep. They, oh, and this opens up another opportunity. Oh, I'm going to apply the same thing. It works there. You know, it's like, you know, the whole ideal of success leaves clues. Yep. The, the, yes. These are things that you can apply to several different areas of life. Once you have your blueprint of what you want to do, of how you want to go about achieving your goals, how you want to go about living your life, mm-hmm. it's all about applying because if you don't apply it, then you're not going to get the results that you want. You're right. Yes, sir. No, you you, and you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I think that gets us to the kind of five languages, the amazing kind of life that you've had. I don't know if people caught on, but your, your background has been in software sales, correct? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Okay. So all of these different opportunities were, you know, around, you know, sales. And it really, to me, is challenging to be able to sell in a different language because not only do you have to understand the words, but you have to understand the mannerisms and the different ways that the words may be used in a cultural context mm-hmm. in the clues to be able to create a relationship, you know, to move past the language barrier, to create mm-hmm. that connection to be able to move forward with being a good salesperson. And so that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think is important. So, and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but I still live in Europe. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm living in Barcelona, Spain. And so I always joke with people that, you know, the one year sabbaticals turned into three countries, four (laughs) additional languages, a marriage, two children. And, and yeah, so now we're traveled to 86 countries, but that stated, you, you talked about sales. And, and one of the things that I've enjoyed about sales and sales leadership, I've done that, being able to do that across Europe, Middle East and Africa. And the last seven years of the 16 years that I was working for the software company, I spent working for the Spanish market. And so what that meant was, is actually being face to face with clients. And I was working with large, the largest multi-billion euro companies in the, in the hotel industries or hospitality industry is what they call it. And I took a step back in my career. Like I wanted to be like my big goal is I wanted to become a, a managing director of a, of a, of an area and I wanted to become a CEO. And, and that was my thing, right? Cause you know, when you're an A student and you do what you're told, like that's the thing you were supposed to do. 
And so I was moving up and I'd gone to a director role in Europe, Middle East and Africa. And, and, and one of the things that I continued to receive from my mentors was, hey, listen, you need to go and you need to do this frontline sales, things like that. And I was like, okay, well, I've already led teams, but sure, well, let's go do this. In the very first year that, and this was going back to 2014, the very first year that I started, I had pretty clear idea of what needed to happen because I'd already been on the leadership side of things. I was in a, in a remote sales organization or inside sales, what they used to call it. And multi-languages all day was great. It was great for mental agility and things like that and really helped me in the fluency. But now it was time to just go to a different language, different culture, one language, one culture. And that was doing it here in Spain. And so I remember, because you talked about the, the whole concept of not just the understanding the words, but the, the what's behind the words, the cultural context. And so the very first year, James, I was applying my methodology. I was doing the work. I was traveling. I was on plane. I mean, I was constantly away. I was because I was doing what I needed to do to get to the top. Mm-hmm. And when the year was over, I finished at 48% of my sales quota. Wow. 48%. I'd never ever achieved, underachieved so much in yeah. my life. And I thought, you know what? And I was just dejected and I went back and I was looking and I got input and, you know, what is, what am I doing wrong? What am I not? And they said, no, no, you know, it, it's just these things happen. And so we looked at an, an analysis and put together an action plan and wanted to do more of the things that I was doing right and do less of the things that I didn't think were doing, was doing right. And this was six, cause I started just half a year and the next year, Doing this, working the same, traveling, flying all around and just applying the same principles, building relationships. The next year was about a hundred and I think it was 12%. Two years later, applying the same principles, doing the same thing, going back, doing more of what worked, less of what didn't work, exceeded 300% of my quota. Now, wow. keep in mind, this was over in a different language, in a different culture. Yes. But the, but the reason for that, that I say the story is that it's really about it's a long game. It's, it's about saying, okay, I'm going to build relationships and you build relationships. You invest the time, you invest the energy. And you also, you go back and you look at your plan. What is working about your plan? What is not working about your plan? Being able to understand, because yes, to your point, it's really important to understand what works, the words, but also understand the cultural context. And so sometimes you don't get the outcome initially because it takes much more time. You have yes. sound principles. You're doing the work. You're going to have failure events, but along the way, what is the ultimate goal? And so at that point, then it was a matter of repeating over and over and over as much as possible. But every year since then, I never went close to 48%, <laughs> not even close. But what I can tell you is it does go back to what you were saying is, you know, you understand the language, the words, more importantly, the, the cultural context. And I started learning that, but mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't learn it from the very beginning. This was something that took time yeah. and I was diligent. I made mistakes. I surrounded myself with people who were experts, allowed them to pour into me. And then I recognized what worked for me to get the ultimate outcome, not just for the clients, but also for the company that I was working for and leading the teams of people that were with me or with the company. So hopefully that is probably a little bit long-winded, but that, that, that when you were talking about the cultural context, it is important. No, I, I think that's great because it, it really shows how the processes that we use, we, we adapt them for what we need. Whereas before you're learning the words to make sure you understand the language. Now you're learning more about the language and the culture so that you can understand the meaning behind the words, you know, and, and things that, you may not have 
nuances that you may not have even been even been aware of or thinking about when you're initially learning the language. Now, one of the things that that you mentioned is that, you know, you were doing these things to be able to get what was best for your clients, get what was best for the company. But was the situation that you were going through, was it best for Billy and for Billy's growing family? So initially, that's a, that's a, I love that question, man. Initially, it was because you have these thoughts in your mind when you are achieving, you're the A student and you have this track, like the most important thing for me at that time was how do I become the CEO of a region or of a geography or, or even maybe ultimately the company, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's just what I thought. That's what I constructed in my mind. At the same time, I, being a young father, I really wanted to be a great father as well. My my parents divorced. I've always had a really great relationship with both of my parents, dad, mother and father both inspired me. And for me inside, I also too, the big thing was to make sure that you can t- continue to do Billy, you know, Billy go out and continue to be a great father, be there at the events that are really important to you. And all of that changed for me because I was doing all the work. I was, you know, I I had some frustrations as well in in my life financially because I didn't come from money. And I finally got to a point where I, I knew the difference between saving and investing. The second time <laughs> something happened because 2000, I lost a lot of money that was in the dot-com bubble. 2008, I lost about 33% of the value of my portfolio and it kind of freaked me out. So I started learning about new things and started learning about things like real estate, real assets, and eventually started buying or eventually, sorry, eventually I really became an excellent student because I had all the theory. I watched all the videos. I listened to all the podcasts. I read all the books and in on my, so we have two kids and my oldest kid, he turned three years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I know I feel comfortable telling you this because we talked about it and I know we, you know, it's something that's important to me. Um, mm-hmm. But on my son's third birthday, James, the night before I couldn't sleep very well because the next morning I was getting on a plane to fly to Frankfurt, Germany. And the, all the things that I was working for, all the things that I wanted to be able to do, the experiences that I wanted to be able to have with my family, especially my kids, I had to leave the next morning. And so... I woke my wife and youngest child, who was one at the time, I woke them up probably 5.45 in the morning. You know, you imagine they're laying in bed and, yeah. you know, out sleep and stuff like that. Well, I wake them up. I got in the shower and I go wake the three-year-old up so I can give him a hug and a kiss. And then I, w- I had to leave. Like we sang happy birthday. I gave him a hug and a kiss and I was on my way to the airport. And I just, I mean, and it's, and I was really ashamed about this for a really long time. And then I finally decided like, Hey, look, this is, th- this actually was a, a, a life changing event for me because as I was going down the elevator that morning and in the taxi on my way to the airport, it was just like, I was sick to my stomach and I was there and I, you know, I don't remember the meeting to this day, but I remember being at the dinner that night while my wife, my two kids and my in-laws were blowing out the candles for my oldest son's birthday. And so that changed something in me. And it was at that moment, like when I got back, I literally started writing down my goals. Like how do I get my financial life in order so that I don't 100% depend on someone else. And I actually can choose whether or not the next time um, that I'm going to get, get on that flight or not, that then became the catalyst for me moving from the theoretical knowledge of, Hey, I'm going to own the financial outcomes of my life and leave everything to the stock market and, and really started taking my own financial life 
mm-hmm. into my own hands. And from there, a lot of things started changing in my life. To be quite honest with you, it, it started. Yeah. But, but that was a, it was a painful event because it was one that I was actually pretty ashamed of for a long time. And the more that I've talked to other people, fortunately, I'm not alone. There are a number of us that have been in that position. Unfortunately, James, there are a lot of people that just continue to go through the motions and continue to miss events that are really important to them. And I told myself this, I was not going to do that anymore. And so that event really helped to propel me to start to take more action to get my financial life in order. Mm -hmm. And I did that for, you know, I worked you know, burn the candle at both ends for like nine years. And yeah. And then you got, and now you're free, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so you know what the great part is, is I, I probably stayed in the role that I was in. I could have not been there three years earlier, but Mm -hmm. the important part was I started recognizing that I could have the freedom to choose what I really wanted to do. Like I was going to the office because I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I really liked it. Yeah, I I was surrounded by super smart people where we're solving very complex problems and doing it in a in a sales capacity is something that is to me. I I mean, I love the sales profession and and, and it's something that just been very, very I was very, very fortunate, man. Very, very fortunate, especially to be able to go there and be able to to be in a role and be in in a role that I wanted to be in. It was awesome. I want to invite you to the next unwebinar. What is an unwebinar? It's no slides, no sales pitch, just added value. These are small group discussions that are designed to really be two-way conversations between you and myself, where you can get insight and advice on the issues that you're dealing with today. The overall goal is to equip you with what you need so that you can win at work and at home. Understand you do not have to do it alone. Sign up for the next unwebinar today. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because what what I don't hear, and I don't think this is part of your story, is I hated my job. There, the the, the I had a, a horrible boss. It was a just a bad situation for me. No, you're saying you know what? I loved my job. I loved being around the people. I also had a need to be there for my family in a different way after that moment to say, you know what? This becomes important to me now. This is where I really have to define what is it that I want in life? And and do I want to be, you know, live a life in which I'm fooling myself saying I'm doing it all for my family, but I never actually have time to spend with my family? Or am I really going to make the hard changes and make the investments to do the things that I need to do to set up the life that I want while continuing to enjoy the life that I have. Yeah, That's okay. what makes your story unique to me. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I used to think I realized that I liked my job a lot. I liked it a lot. I didn't quite love it. And the difference is because what I'm doing now, I love it. Like it yeah. does not feel like work. I am serving very unique clients who are looking to really have the ability to, to, to have freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. And now I recognize the difference between something that I really, really, really liked. I thought I loved it. Mm-hmm. I even know for a while, my profile was happy corporate employee because I really, really did enjoy it. But you also too recognize at a certain point that the role that you have, it's there. Like I, I was a number. I used my number. I don't know if it was 10, 15 times a day because every single time I had to put 
in my computer, I had to yes. type my eight digit number. And I was reminded every single day that I was this number for this company to do this specific role. Yes. And so when I started realizing that it was about how do I also, you know, cause I was part of the top talent program and Hawaii with the top achievers for sales. So I was mm-hmm. achieving. And at the same time, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it the best that I can, but I'm not going to give my soul anymore because I'm not going to feel the way that I felt when I didn't go to my son's third birthday party. I was never going to feel that way again. And so that what switched was you start to realize that it's okay to be the best that you can be when you're at your role, at your job. Mm -hmm. But remember, if you're clicking and typing in your computer 15, 20 times a day, this is your number to get into the computer. That's mm-hmm. what you're, you're doing a role at a specific company and don't confuse the role with your life. Yes. That's what I tend to see a lot. And I talk to a lot of people nowadays, right? Because now I'm yeah. on in a different side that, yeah. that feel like they're just going in a, in a circle over and over and over and over. And sometimes so busy that you can't take action to change the outcome of your life. But remember, nobody's going to do that for you. You have to do it Nobody. yourself. Yeah, you have to do it yourself. And you know as well that, you know, I really talk about winning at work and at home. And really, that's really what I want our listeners to do. What, you know, my market's focused on engineers, but anybody that's in my circle understands that I'm here to help you win at work and at home. And, and that crucible moment for you really opened up your eyes to say, I need to do something different to, so that I can win at home. And one of the things I don't know, I haven't heard you talk about this, but I've heard you allude to your continued growth in your sales numbers. Did your sales numbers continue to grow after that crucible moment, after you started investing in real estate and doing other things? Yeah. So I told you about the 48%. That was when I was getting started. So I was a young father who just changed the role. So I'd just taken this, this move back. Mm-hmm. So I was dealing with being a young father. I just had 48% in my numbers. I also had that event where I missed my son's third birthday. All of these things were happening at the same time. Got it. And so, but what it, what it did for me. So there were, I mean, there were years, right? Cause this is part of it also too. You, when you are fighting to gain control over your life, the financial part of your life or the outcomes that are most important to you, Mm -hmm. there are sacrifices that have to be made as well, right? So I sacrificed many, many, many hours and it was nine years of a lot of hard work. But the the hours that I was fighting for outside of my day job, it was because I knew I could get to a point where like today, I don't ever have to go back to a corporate role. I don't ever plan on going back to a corporate role. I'm humble enough to know that if things don't work out, that I, I would do that. I don't have yeah. any plans to do that. But, you know, it, it is a matter of saying, what is important? What are the priorities? And I just knew that I never wanted to feel that way again. So after the 48%, James, mm-hmm. not only did I start to gain more control over my financial life, meaning that I started to have assets that were paying me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. I was also going from 48% to 115% to 300%, right? Yes, so that was happening at the same time. Yes. And yeah, I mean, it was it was happening at the same time, but there was a, definitely a lot of sacrifice that was going on at the same time. Hopefully I've answered your no, question. No, you did. And what I want to point out to the listeners is that you made the choice to invest in your family and then also invest the time that you needed to get the financial flexibility and freedom 
while you were doing those two things, it's that you sacrificed your time, but you still continued to perform in your day job. So this wasn't a thing of sacrificing the day job for your family or sacrificing it. It, it, it was more like putting the day job in its proper role and then being able to build these other things up. And I think that's amazing. I just want to want to be able to, I know it wasn't easy. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Actually, I'm glad that you said this. So this is one of the things that is also important because I did mention you will have to make some type of sacrifice. And so I didn't get it right the whole time. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I got things out of balance and that's when it's important to make sure that your family understands what, not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And so I'll just give you a, a, a simple example. Like a lot of times people are like, Billy, how do you get so much stuff done? Now, I know that this is just an like, I know that I tend to do things maybe a little bit m- more extreme than most. But I was I was even I wrote about this earlier today, today on, on LinkedIn. One of the things that happens is people you you may hear or you may even yourself think I, like, I don't have time to do this. I like I want to do it, I don't, but I don't have time. So one of the things I have done is I've helped people understand how you can create a month out of nowhere, right? Once again, this is a little bit extreme, but hopefully this makes sense. One of the things that I used to do is I used to get up really pretty early. The other day I, I just made, I wanted to kind of take a track of things. So the other day I was up at 4 a.m. I know it's a little bit early, but I was up at four. I have a very specific process that I go through where I focus on myself, really understanding, going through some some silence, meditation, affirmations, visualization, also being able to do some light exercise, being able to read and being able to to write, right? Going through that process, focusing myself, working on business from like four in the morning until 7 a.m. What's really important for me is that I spend time with my children and my children start moving at, at around 7 a.m. So if we just take those first three hours of the day where I'm focused on me and doing the things that are, are related to the business that I continue to build, if you take those three hours a day, you do that five days a week. That's 15 hours, right? You take those 15 hours and you say, on average, someone's going to work 50 years at 50 weeks out of the year. That's 750 hours. James, you're much better at these numbers, but this is probably like 750 hours divided by 24 hours in a day. That should give you something just over 31 and a quarter days. So that you've just created a month to actually get you and your family closer to the goals that you need. Now, I take it to an extreme. I, that's three hours. But just imagine that you take a half an hour a day, an extra half an hour where you focus on yourself. You focus a little bit on that goal and that dream for half the time. You just created two weeks. You've created a week of being able to get yourself to your goal so that you can live the best version of you and have the freedom to choose what you want to do on a daily basis. I mean, so, so yes, there's going to be, there is some sacrifice that has to be made. Like I said, doesn't need to be three hours like me. I know I'm a little bit extreme. I don't think that's extreme, Billy. That's just you. Yeah. You're not extreme. You are doing what you need to do to create the life that you want. And I think that's great, man. Absolutely great. So what we haven't touched on is people are probably saying, what does Billy do now? You know, they've, they've, they've been, you've been here for this long. You've been listening to these, these amazing stories and the conversations that we're having. And you're like, so he's not working anymore, but he's talking about building a business. Could you briefly touch on, you know, what you're building now? Sure. One of the things that, so as I started getting more control over my financial life, I understood that I needed to create a cash flow. That was something that was very important for me because having cash flowing, just like blood flowing through your veins, it allows you to do more things. If you, the blood flow stops, then 
you stop. So, so I focused a lot on that and I was actually investing a lot in real assets like real estate. I was doing that. I was living in Barcelona, actively investing in the United States. And I bought a lot of a number of smaller multifamily. I bought a mobile home park. And then I actually found out that I can invest with other people. And so I started investing passively, meaning I gave someone else capital. And I, I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, you can give somebody two, three hundred thousand dollars They'll do that for you. And, and, you, <laughs> and you can keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, okay, well, cool. That, uh, that make, that makes sense. So I started investing passively with people. And one of the things that happens is as you're creating, there's a lot of different types of income. And I, I love talking to people about this, so I won't get too much into the weeds, but there are different <laughs> types of income. And so I was generating what the IRS calls a lot of passive income. Mm-hmm. And so that was extremely tax efficient. I was, it, the money that was there, it really wasn't taxed a lot. And by the way, I'm not giving anybody any tax advice. I'm just sharing a little bit of a yeah. story. So definitely talk to your tax team and your, yes. your people to understand how some of this stuff could potentially apply to you. So- what was happening is I was getting these things. I heard, Hey, you know, it's extremely tax efficient buy real estate. And I was buying it and I was not getting taxed on the real estate, but I was still a high achiever in my day job. Remember? Cause now I wasn't at 48%. We're much higher than that. And so I was paying 40, 45% in taxes on my W2 wages. Yeah. And that didn't feel good. Cause I was like, hang on a second. This passive income is not supposed to be taxed, but there are two different types of income, right? Yep. And so what I started realizing was, hey, listen, I actually want to have more. I want to decide what I want to do. And so if there is a way or how can I potentially extract or or not have to pay 45 percent in taxes? Like if there was a way that I could do that, that would be actually pretty cool. If I could even instead of paying 45 percent, I was paying 35 percent. That's like 10 percent. And at the yeah. tax rate that I was, it made a lot of sense. So eventually I've started really focusing on helping to solve problems. The specific problem that my company helps is for people that, and I don't know if you talked about accredited investors and things like that, but it's someone who is the, t- today the IRS says an accredited investor is someone who earns $200,000 a year for the previous two years and is expected to do that this year, or mm-hmm. as a couple is earning $300,000 the previous two years and is expected to earn that this year or has a million dollars of net worth, not including their primary residence. So that person is an accredited investor. And today my company works to serve accredited investors to help them really be able to to find the most tax efficient investment opportunities so that Mm -hmm. ultimately they can not just make more money, but really keep more money so that they can then really have the freedom to do what they want to do with whom they want to do and when they want to do it. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what we do today. Hey, this is James, and I'm here to help you win at work and at home. Let's connect. You can use the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary session. And we're going to walk through the steps that it's going to take for you to start thriving so you can engineer your success and live the life that you love. Come on, sign up today. Yeah, and the one caveat in your story I would add is that when you're making passive income, you also in the real estate have those losses, but you can't apply the passive losses to active income. And that becomes part of the issue because, you know, you're, you're accruing the losses and you're like, okay, but this is not helping me offset my active income. That's a problem. (laughs) So actually, you know what? I I can't believe I didn't say that. And yes, once again, we're just talking about what happened. It's like, this happened to me. So Mm -hmm. Because I had that thought that, hey, listen, this is passive income and it, it was going to help reduce my taxes. To your point, I started looking every year on my tax form and it was like these passive losses kept building up. 
Mm-hmm. And not only what it like, it became frustrating for me because I'm like, hang on a second. This is money <laughs> that is just trapped. I can't do anything. I remember calling my tax guy and I, we, you know, I, I sat down because I, I tend to pay for things. And yeah. I said, listen, I need you to, I sat down, I paid for an hour of his time just so that he could explain to me this difference between these passive losses and passive activity losses and stuff like that, because I didn't understand it. Yeah. And once I started understanding that there are two different buckets and they don't mix. There are some very, very, very unique exceptions where they do. But mm-hmm. most people that are high paid, busy professionals like I was and like many of your your audiences, you can't apply for those or you can't qualify for those. So, yeah. yes, that became a very big point of frustration because those passive losses just kept building up. And I was going to have to wait like five, seven or maybe 20 years before I sold the asset in order to to kind of take advantage of those. And so yeah. that's what made me start thinking, not really being so upset about that, but saying like, how could I do, how could I actually extract some of what I'm actually paying every year? Because I know on a yearly basis that I keep paying 40 plus percent in taxes yeah. in my W-2 earned income. And I thought, well, if I could just extract a little bit of that, actually extracting some of that W-2 income in terms of taxes, I thought to myself, hey, listen, I can then use that to invest in other things. And if I have more assets working for me, ultimately, then that's going to create a path to freedom for me even faster. Yep. So that, which is why I always say that, like, I believe that as long as you know where the location that you're going, like there are a number of different vehicles that can help get you there. It's just a matter of, have you been exposed to these vehicles? And if you have, great. If you haven't, well, you're kind of in the dark and that's, that's not fun. No. Yep. Thank you for kind of telling people a little bit about that. We're going to include again, a link to your website, LinkedIn profile, wherever you want people to get in contact with you. We will absolutely be able to do that. You know, Billy, I want to just thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to to be on the podcast. Right, do you have any parting words or some general success principles that you haven't talked about that you think would be a benefit to the audience? Yeah, a, cu- a couple of things. I, I know you're going to include in the show notes, but if there if there are people that were our credit investors, you talked about that earlier, and you can feel free to find more about us. It's a brand new website, James, so I'm all excited about it, which oh, is cool. a first. Yeah, you go to firstgencp.com forward slash invest. You can find out more about us there. Also, James, you know, I like LinkedIn. The one thing I would ask everybody when you send a an invitation on LinkedIn, just at least let me know that you watched or listened, James and I here having a conversation. It will help the conversation move forward as well. But but the thing that if there are any parting words, the, the one thing that I would say, and, and I'd say this because I'm someone who has struggled as a perfectionist, because when I tried to apply the same philosophy that I learned in school, when I applied it in the real world, when I was fighting to get control over my own life, in terms of financial life, it's different principles, right? There, It's not that you get all the right answers and you get an A on the exam the first time. It's about making sure that you understand where you're going, why you're going there, being able to get a baseline of education, recognizing that the information that you are going to have to make the decision that you make is going to be imperfect. It is not going to be perfect. And it's frustrating for those of us who are perfectionists or recovering perfectionists like me. And so you have to be willing to, and I heard this General Colin Powell said he applied a 40-70 principle, James. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but basically saying he never, when there was a really relevant decision that needed to be made, he never made a decision with less than 40% of the information because he didn't have enough and never with more than four, more than 70%. 
because then they started to take him to to the analysis paralysis area. So between 40 and 70% is what he needed in order to make those decisions on really important things like gaining control of your financial life. So being able to apply principles like that, recognizing that everything is not going to be perfect and being willing and able to make decisions on imperfect information are some of the principles that have helped me to be in a position where after nine years and, and still in my 40s that I don't have to go to work for someone else any longer. I enjoyed the time that I had, but I am now very clear on the things that are most important to me. And I've done the work to get here. And I wish I would have known other people, other strategies, because it would have happened a lot sooner. And so I guess that's the that's the thing that I would, would leave with and just wish everyone continued success and keep coming back here and listening to Dr. James Bryant, because uh, you're going to get <laughs> lots and lots of actionable information to help you get to to your goals. And James, I I can't thank you enough, man. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be here. No, Billy, thank you. I'm going to end the podcast as I end every episode. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know actually how to do it. And there's a select group of people, a very select group of people that actually follow through, do it and live the life of their dreams. And Billy, I am so happy to have you here on the podcast because you are part of that select few. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Engineer Your Success with Dr. James Bryant. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it, and a small fraction of people actually do it. I believe that you can have success both in business and in life, and it's my passion to guide you on your path to engineering your success. Thanks. Thanks.